You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry, Season 6, Episode 5. Carissa, how's it going today? It's going pretty well. It's uh, raining again here in Pittsburgh. We've been basically living in soup for a couple of weeks now. It's kind of horrible. How about you? Uh, Also soupy here. No rain right now. I would actually like it if the temperatures broke for a couple hours. But yeah, it's uh, muggy and miserable outside. Yeah, I took my dog out for a walk yesterday after work and he was so dramatic about it on the way home he just wanted to lay in the grass and have me carry him home i think did he melt i think he might have it's kind of hard to tell though because he's got so much extra floppy skin on his head that it would be hard to tell if he actually did melt anyway (laughs) okay so last week we were talking about being non-anxious presences being a non-anxious presence, um, boy, the, the, the sentence constructions get really difficult when you try to uh, <laughs> put a framework around it. Um, you almost have to write it down first and then read it. Almost. But of course, if you wrote it down, you'd be anxious over whether or not you were writing it correctly. That's fair. Yeah, don't sweat it too much. So anyhow, we were talking about uh, anxiety. Oh, there's a grammatically simple uh, <laughs> way of, of stating it. We were speaking about anxiety in the church and how we try to speak into that and break the cycle of anxiety. Yeah, that's such a difficult thing to do. And we tend to, as human beings, hold on to our anxiety pretty tightly And especially in community, there's something about that anxiety that just like seeps into the cracks and and sticks around, which is what makes it really hard to be a non-anxious presence. Well, I think at at its core, any community is, um, is the sum total of the anxieties of every single individual in that community right? You you don't, you don't walk into a community without bringing your own baggage. So you start out with your own baggage and I start out with my own baggage and we add in a couple more sets of luggage and pretty soon instead of adding it multiplies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think part of it is too, you know, we all come in with very unique anxieties because we all have unique identities. We all have various stories and histories. And we've talked about that a bit recently on the podcast too. How do you listen to other people's stories well? And that can be a part of being a non-anxious presence, but um, owning your identity can also be part of the answer to being less less anxious um, as an individual or as a community. Yeah, I you know, I remember a couple of years ago going into Advent and I wanted to preach into the different Sundays and start with the opposite of each thing. And like the opposite of fear is love. Mm. And you know, 
I don't know. I, I guess the opposite of anxiety is peace, but you've got to kind of have love and relationship in there too. Uh, you, you can, you can talk about being non-anxious and not reactive and such, but you have to have a positive to dwell in rather than the anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I don't think that being a non-anxious presence, not being anxious, I don't think the opposite of that is an absence of conflict. I think it's, it's a presence of something else, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. Um, it, it's a presence of maybe connection, you know, yeah. if you think about the things, well, no, let, let, let me stop there. Name me something that causes you to be anxious. Oh my goodness. Well, um, there are lists of it. (laughs) Um, So something that causes me to be anxious. So one thing that gets me every time is if I have a plan in mind, if I like, this is how my day is going to go. This is the routine I've assumed is happening tomorrow. And something puts a wrench in that, that will absolutely make me anxious because I, things aren't going the way that I had expected them to. What, what is the possible end state when they won't go the way you expected them? Mayhem. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Chaos. Okay. And what happens to you in the midst of chaos? Oh my gosh. It's like being in therapy. Um, well, I don't, it depends on the chaos. I'm not in control. <laughs> That's, that's really what it is. I'm not in control. Okay. So so we've, we've got, I didn't sign on for this today. (laughs) Hey, you could have picked something that that wasn't as core anxiety. (laughs) That's fair. It could have been like when my cat misses the cat box, right? Something. (laughs) Yes. You know, you, the, the, the anxiety of having to be stuck with cleaning up. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, Uh, yeah, not being in control. Yeah. We'll go with that. For for ins- you know, I'll, I'll I'll give you one personally. I get anxious over money. Um, you know, I'm still carrying debt from seminary. I have a car loan. I would really love to have a house, but you know, it's going to take some savings before that happens. Um, one time when I was in college, um, we. We had a little trouble turning in my financial aid form. Um, and by we, I mean my parents, because my dad dragged his feet doing taxes and it was just kind of a mess. And I have to tell you, college was one of the two or three best times of my life. And when I found out that I might not be able to get all of the financial aid that it kept to take me to keep me in college. That was uh, just incredibly stressful. It induced an unbearable amount of anxiety because I had, I had essentially found my way into Eden or something close to it. And I was about to get kicked out of the garden. And it was because somebody 
my dad, uh, over whom I had no control, didn't hold up his end of the bargain. So it activated uh, a number of my daddy issues, and it threatened to separate me from what was at that time the most socially stimulating environment of my life. And uh, it was just this complete out-of-control feeling, you know, like, oh my God, what am I going to do next? It was unbearable for a couple of days. So, wow, that was, this is like therapy today. This is deep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think there, there's something about, about control and it's control of different things for different people. I think that that different things make us feel out of control. So for you, yeah, for you, you just named this, this financial aid situation made you feel kind of out of control. Like you're going to lose a piece of yourself. That, and that's, that's the key because for me, it was uh, about those relationships and there was this threat of being cut off from relationships. And so I think that that's why I say that on some level, relationship is sort of the positive antidote to anxiety, right? It maybe not, maybe it isn't exactly the opposite of it, but um, anxiety is uh, certainly in some cases connected to relationship and the threat of losing it. Um, If you look at something like suicidal depression, and I am no expert here, but I've just been through some seminars. Most of the time when someone commits suicide, you will find that there is some sort of cutoff in a relationship somewhere. And that the reason that person spirals out of control is they don't understand, they can't see a way back into some former relationship and uh, it happens after that, which is not to say that every breakup or change of relationship ends in suicide, but you will find, I think, that a tremendously high percentage of suicides have a precipitating event and it's some sort of uh, breakup of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Suicide is a deep and, and complicated um, issue. Yeah, yes. Um, and, and I am but, out of my depth to discuss yeah. it in this podcast. <laughs> yeah. But you're, but you're, yeah. One of the things that can be a catalyst is a damaged or broken relationship. There's something about our connections to other people that um, do something deeply internally, spiritually, emotionally to us. Yeah. yeah. So then if we talk about church as being a collection of individual anxieties uh, that can have a multiplier effect when they are all put together in a sanctuary, um, you know, you, you you can really see the potential that every congregation has for uh, just, you know, spinning, spinning out of control. Yeah. And especially if a congregation doesn't have a good sense 
collectively of what their identity is. And if they don't have a healthy sense of identity, a theologically healthy sense of identity in our big word series um, earlier in the year, we brought up the word ecclesiology, which is really a huge word for theology of church. And it's a giant word and it's a scary word, but it is a really important word for church communities. If we do not have a solid, um, ecclesiology, theology of what the church is and what it's for, then we can get stuck in the pa- these patterns of anxiety and um, unhealthy or un- imbalanced relationships with one another. Yeah, I, I know that um, one of the central themes of my preaching has been identity in Christ. Uh, and I imagine that's been a consistent theme for you as well. Uh, because, hey, we have a podcast called Soft Idolatry. We see all of the other things that that people worship. We see the other things that we are sometimes drawn to. And uh, so we are looking to create this positive self-identity, but it's still, I guess, to a certain extent, we have focused more on individual identity with Christ as opposed to identity with nation or class or house or material possessions or what have you. I'm about to say something mildly too severely controversial. (laughs) So um, I'm just going to put that trigger warning out there, everybody. I'm about to say one of those things that gets me in trouble sometimes. Uh, But I, I don't think Billy Graham did any favors for the church in America. And the reason I think that, yes, he got a lot of people in pews, right? He got a lot of people to pray, I want Jesus in my heart. But that also did damage to the church's identity. Because what it did is it individualized us each too much. Being a part of the body of Christ is not about your not solely about your individual personal salvation. There is so much more to it. That is just a side effect of the bigger picture. So um, we need to be really cautious to look at that and to see that this is about becoming a collective whole, about becoming one body, not about a bunch of individual people who've turned from sin and prayed the magic prayer who then, um, go to the same country club. Yeah, I, boy, I'm, I'm hearing a uh, new, new order ringing in my ears right now. <laughs> <laughs> Little personal Jesus going on in the background. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I, I agree with you completely. Um, I, I, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I will, I will not be putting um, what a friend we have in Jesus in, <laughs> as we worship him in a while, <laughs> maybe ever. Well, no, actually, I might put it in a funeral here or there. But while we're uh, controversial, also not the old rugged cross. Go on. <laughs> no <laughs> arguments here, uh, and, and, unless we're talking about old lady funerals. Oh, I allow that stuff for funerals. Yes, mm-hmm. but in a no, I, theologically in a church service, nope, nope, nope. But, but anyway, yes, back to your uh, – see, I don't even know how controversial 
what you just said is because unless you're a boomer or older, uh, I, I don't know that there's that I, uh, identification with the Billy Graham crusade from our generation or younger. And, um, you know, hey, audience, if you're a boomer and you're listening to us, did you just please. hey boomer the audience? <laughs> I, I, I did not hey boomer them. <laughs> I hey audience them and said, if you identify as a boomer, just for my own curiosity, let us know that you're listening. Um, yes, send us a message. Yes. But, you know, uh, so, so I think for that reason alone, this is not likely going to be controversial to our audience, but you know, I, I, I can't agree with you more. It's, it's, it loses the focus on community and, and the collective call to action that we, that we hear in the gospels that we hear in the letter of James and all sorts of other places, you know, uh, it's not just about me. I feel like we've we've had this conversation before, where we've devolved into the "it's not just about you." <laughs> you you might be right about that. <laughs> it sounds like something we would do. <laughs> yeah. So but- I, this is though I think um, one of the things that happens and maybe this is connected in some way to the fact that boomers and older are still kind of the center of gravity in our congregations and uh, I think what's happened in a lot of places is that congregations are more like social clubs than they are theological families yes because they're, they're a group of people with um, a similar ethos and code of conduct that happen to be in the same place doing the same thing. Yeah. And, and it's not to say that they're completely disconnected from one another, but uh, I think this is why so many people are stuck in the attractional model. You know, that, oh, we just need more young families. You know, if, if we have the, the preacher who will draw them in, um, we'll, we'll be set because when they were 30 years old, they found a pastor who they really liked and they built a relationship with that pastor, but maybe not with a whole lot of other people in the pews. Maybe some but maybe not everyone. Yeah. And that's not to say like when a church is functioning more as a club than a family, that's not to say there aren't genuine relationships in it. Um, But there is, there, there's a different nature to them and their relationships built on homogeny, not built on unity in Christ. Right. Or, or they could be relationships built on, shared experience, but then they stop admitting new people into those webs of relationship. Exactly. Exactly. You know, Um, the choir becomes super cliquish. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I'm on the, the conflict resolution team in our, our presbytery. And one of the things that we see is there's often like different factions of people within a church and they sort of tolerate each other. But whenever any kind of conflict comes, the, these groups of people who sometimes have clever little names for the other groups too, to like talk and code about them. Right. Um, and that's how things blow up and where, where things fracture. Whereas what we're called to um, as Christians is even when we disagree with one another or we have different experiences, we experience or see a situation differently than those around us. We figure out how to talk it through and to be like-minded without being automatons or uh, clones of one another, right? We can be like-minded even in our disagreement. We can say, we're united in Christ. We're all working toward the same thing together. And sometimes we, we have to give ground to others and um, concede some of our our hills, right? Yeah, and and those hills uh, can be many different things. It can be a particular style of worship or music, or it could be the idea that someone else, that whatever the job is, it's someone else's job. Like, I'm doing my thing for this church, and that's it. Yeah, and then then you run into, like, um, passing knowledge down, right? Transfer of knowledge when you've got that one person who did that thing. And then because that person was, like, so influential in the congregation when they die, and nobody knows how to do that thing they did, there's, like, complete and utter there's chaos, there's mayhem, everybody's freaking out because they don't know how, how exactly they ran the chicken dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and then there is much anxiety because if we don't do it exactly like Sally Smith used to do it, no one will come. Yeah. Even though. Um, Sally Smith pissed off 16 other people who used to work <laughs> in the kitchen. She always did too. Like everybody loved the way she did the thing, but none of them actually liked her. Why is that? It's so (laughs) weird. It's a very weird like church kitchen phenomenon that that Mm -hmm. can happen where someone was so beloved and revered and also like terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, reviled and and terrifying. It's a very strange phenomenon in church culture. But I think part of that goes back to the whole like individual thing, right? Like we look so much to certain individuals within the congregation or within the the church community that when that individual is no longer there, we've just lost our whole identity. Mm -hmm. And especially in today's day and age, when churches are hemorrhaging people, let's be real here, right? People are dying left and right, not just because of COVID, but also because of COVID, right? So we've got like, Lots of people dying from the congregations, lots of people leaving, lots of people just don't care anymore, don't bother. People aren't engaged in the same ways. And so we're panicking because there's no more Sally Smiths to fill the kitchen. Right, right. Or or there are no more young families. Yes, who will eventually age up to become Sally Smith in the kitchen, yeah. Right, right. And... You know, this is, I I was, 
talking to a colleague who has the same frustration. And she said that she was at a gathering and uh, kept hearing this from older members of her congregation. And she wanted to scream and she wanted to scream at them. We baptized six different kids in the last year and a half. Did you talk to any of their parents after the baptism? Did you make a point of introducing yourself? She wanted to scream that at them. She knew she had to be nice and pastoral. It was a nice gathering. It wasn't the time to challenge people. But inwardly, she was raging. Yeah, that's so frustrating. It's, you're fine with people coming in and dropping into the systems we already have in place. What we don't want to do is, is change as a system to um, to shift our community identity. But just like a person has to grow and change throughout their lifetime, a community has to grow and change throughout their lifetime or they're going to get stagnant, right? You know, an example of this might be that, um, you know, there's someone who um, just doesn't, you know, doesn't continue um, educating and bettering themselves throughout their life. They don't look for new opportunities, those sorts of things. And eventually, you know, 40 years later, they find themselves 65 years old and still working the same dead end job that they were in ages ago. Um, or, you know, someone grows emotionally stagnant in their relationships and they wonder why their relationships never go anywhere, right? Because they're doing the same old patterns and not growing and changing into that. Right. Same thing with communities. Mm -hmm. And and I think, um, you know, you, you seek the same patterns. You, you seek the thing that worked for you when the thing was working well. So if you became a member of your congregation at the age of 30 when you moved to this town or this area and you had you know, a pastor who was about 40 years old with a couple of kids and really seemed to be down to earth and speak your language, uh, you're, you're still looking for that same experience. And our more anxious older members are searching even harder for the church of 25 or 30 or 40 years ago. Yeah. And, Please hear us that this is not meant to like vilify the older members of our congregations. Um, sometimes we laugh at this stuff because otherwise we'll cry. Um, but rather to point out that we are all creatures that resist change and uh, we need to be cautious not to do that or we're going to get ourselves in some trouble. And we issue these challenges because we both love the church deeply. We both believe in this crazy Christian community idea that looks ridiculous and it's messy and it's hard to do right. <laughs> I don't know a single church on the planet that does it right. Some get it righter than others and some get it really wrong, but none of them get it perfectly right because we're all imperfect beings. We, we are, and we actually have a really good church word for this. Ooh, a big word. 
you know, like four syllables. It's actually a word that that most of us church folk know. Okay, share it. Repentance. Repentance. That willingness to say that something you did hurt someone else. Or, no, I'm not even going to say it, it's that kind of, it doesn't have to be, that doesn't have to be the direction for the metanoia. Um, it could be a change of mind to mm. realize missed opportunities, right? If if we take the, if we take a, a more expansive definition of sin as anything that takes us out of relationship with one another or with God, uh, then there is a sin of missed opportunity, if you will, that when you actually have the young family in church who are getting their child baptized, that you have the opportunity to make a connection, to build a relationship. And yeah, if that family walks away from the relationship, fine. But if you didn't even bother, and then you are complaining that we don't have young families in the congregation, repent, repent for the kingdom is nigh. Yes, yes. You know, the, the kingdom, the, the actual relationship is at hand turn around and walk toward it. Pursue it. I, I mean, um, oh, the, I, I was just looking at this in a commentary, but the Hebrew word has, uh, has gone out of my head. But from the 23rd Psalm, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That Hebrew verb for follow is, is really like to be pursued, to be hounded, to be chased down by goodness and mercy. You know, if you find a non-anxious way to chase people down with goodness and mercy, they might hang out with you in worship. Yeah. They might return that with relationship. Well, and there is something so exciting about that, right? So, yeah, it's a little bit scary to think about a new relationship coming into the church family, because that is going to change. If you do it right, that new entity is going to change the community. That's an important thing. And it's a scary thing sometimes, but it's also exciting. You know, Romans 12, two says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, which is individualism, self-preservation, all of those things, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in the church, the renewing of this, you know, unified mind is, is bringing in new and different voices, bringing in people that aren't Sally Smith. Sally Smith is still important to have there, but Sally Smith needs to be willing to talk to, uh, you know, Brittany and, you know, what's a guy, a young guy's name. I don't even know. I'm an extra. I don't even care. Chad, Chad and Brittany. Right. Um, Oh and, uh, no, um, Liam, Liam and Brittany. Oh, there you go, Liam and yeah, it, Brittany. I think is even our age, isn't it? Like, yeah, I think it is. I'm going on it. I'm going off into the weeds here, though. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that is not just you as an individual. That is us collectively. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is. So if you think you know what God's will is because it's what you did in the past, you've missed 
the boat because it is through the renewing of our minds and the transformation of us and our community that we then learn God's will. Nicely done. Do you, do you have your Greek New Testament handy? I could. What are I'm, you looking for? I'm I'm wondering about the verb that is translated as be transformed. Oh, that is a great, great question. So the the, the Greek uh, root there actually of the word that we translate generally as transformed is the same root as the word we use uh, for metamorphosis. So this is not a small change. This is uh, this is going from caterpillar to butterfly. Yes. You know, and that's that's the payoff uh, of repentance. That's the payoff of transformation. If you are willing to step into that uncomfortable place, and this is the other thing about anxiety versus relationship, when the church is functioning as a true and healthy family, instead of a multiplier effect of all of those burdens, you find all of the other people who understand how to support you in the carrying of the burden. And the burdens become lighter because they are being carried together. The burdens become lighter because you have an engineer or a carpenter or some skilled person in the group who builds a machine to bear to bear the excess weight of all of the baggage. Who yeah. builds a luggage cart? <laughs> they were always going to have the baggage. It's just all about how we carry it. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm going to make um, a t-shirt with that on it. When we open yeah. the soft idolatry t-shirt store. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, so we want to continue this, this thread um, throughout the next, we're not quite sure how long at this, at this point, sometimes we don't think out the timelines real well on these things. Um, but we're going to start bringing in some more voices for how do we build this kind of healthy community and what can the church look like? Um, we, we almost have a blank slate in many ways. We've got a, a blanker slate than we're ever going to have, right. As we're coming out of pandemic or hopefully coming out of it with all the new variants and things that may not be as swift a process as we hope it is. Um, so we're going to be bringing in some friends and talking to them of, and, and dreaming big about what might the church look like and what are some of the idols and, and things in the way of that. Um, so uh, stay tuned for that, for that next uh, season, not, not a new season, but you know what I mean? Time thread thread. Thank you. Thread. Yeah. Uh, Alan, do you mind praying us out today? Huh? Do I mind? I don't mind. Uh, I did hit a blank, but let's see if, uh, let's see if the spirit will carry me through. Carry I think the spirit's through. got your back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for families, human families and church families. We thank you for the relationships that sustain us and equip us for the work to which you have called us. We ask that you would send us your Holy Spirit to Help us bear the anxiety and find the relationships so that we may continue to do your work in the world. 
We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information, check out our website at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.patreon.com slash softidolatry. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. <laughs>